0: Turn with me in God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you know, there were various difficulties at the church at Corinth. The Apostle Paul was concerned about these. He wrote a first letter, and and this letter followed after he had heard of the repentance there, but he was also still concerned about... um, those who are seeking to exalt themselves as teachers and uh, who called into question his own ministry, and this addresses some of those questions, but it relates to our own lives, I believe, today, and our call to die. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, But not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body or carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They fade away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This ends the reading of God's inspired, infallible, without error, word. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you died today? I hate dying. It's painful, it's difficult. We revolt against it. It's not. Natural, a part of the way we have been created. We were created to live. And yet, there's this seeming paradox, this seeming contradiction that as we read the scriptures, as we are called to live the Christian life, and we see it here, particularly in this chapter, die, live. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament, Moses is standing on the mountain with the two. Various groups of people of Israel and their tribes, one saying death, death, one, the other saying life, life. We find these contrasts and these seeming contradictions with many words and ideas and and thoughts. You have life and death, you have light and darkness, you have what we've seen this morning sinners and saints. You have time and eternity. And so many other things that are in seeming opposition or contrasted to uh, large degrees. And so it's valid. It's important for us to understand what, what do we mean by these terms? What does it mean to actually experience these realities ourselves in our spiritual walk? God calls himself The God of the living, not the God of the dead. He's the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of the living. So what is Paul talking about here? He's dying daily, and he's given over unto death, and yet he's alive. Well, I want to consider something of this from the passage we read. And in verses 10 and 11, I'll I'll read them again. He says here, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh so the theme is living the dying life and we want to look at three thoughts first the position And it's not found in our text in particular, but this theme of being dead and alive in Christ, we will find elsewhere. But we need to establish this point first. It's the position, it's the standing of Paul, it's the standing of every believer who is in Christ, the position. Second, I want to look at the practice, the practice Paul is speaking about here in this passage of living the dying life. And then third, the power. How is it that we're able to live and we'll be able to live the dying life? Well, the position. Beloved, Paul uses these images of life and death and being baptized, dying in Christ and being risen to a new life. And the first thing we need to realize here is and probe the depth of is Paul's understanding and comprehension of what it means to be in Christ. When we are in Christ, in other words, when we have come to trust in Christ, when we've turned from our sin by the way of repentance and have believed that Jesus has paid the price we couldn't, he stands in our stead and he's giving to us his righteousness We now are in a standing, in a position. Every person, believer, who has come to Christ by faith is joined unto him in an inseparable bond. So that what was ours, sin and death, became his, and what was his, righteousness and life, becomes ours. That's, in essence, the gospel. And so when we are united to Christ by faith, we read in various places of the New Testament, we are justified. In other words, we now stand before God, if we are in Christ, we stand before the judgment seat of God as guilt-free, not guilty. That's really what justification is. Because sinners who have felt what we've heard this morning, too, this conviction of sin, this sense of guilt and shame, and have come before a holy God and sinking in the depths. They cry out to Him. They hear in His word that He is merciful and gracious and they come to Him in Christ and their guilt is taken away. They are pardoned. They are cleansed. They are now at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul's point here of course is We are dead in Christ. We are alive in Christ. If you go to Romans chapter 6, Paul makes this abundantly clear. He's moved through justification. In previous chapters, he's declared everyone guilty, Jew and Gentile. He's moved to the faith of Abraham. He's moved to how we are then received of God in justification when he gets to chapter 6 he is saying can we because the mercy and grace of God is so abundant can we who've tasted that now continue in sin God forbid why because you have died he says you have been buried with Christ Paul Paul was so uh, taken in he was Uh, so enamored by the glorious, powerful, encompassing grace of God that he wanted everyone to know how gracious God was that no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven of your sin. But don't go on and live in sin and despise his grace. And so he says, how shall we that are dead to sin Live in it. And of course, we know his rebuke. Absolutely not. It's not conceivable. It ought not to even be thought about that we should go on in sin, that, that grace would abound. Well, I know you're considering Romans with your pastor, so turn with me to another place where we find the same truth in Colossians. Colossians 3, which we started to read. Paul is here laying out the same truth. Colossians 3, where he talks about how we are risen with Christ. In other words, we've been dead and buried with him, so now we're risen with Christ. So therefore, he says, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Because, verse 3, you have died. You've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let that settle in your hearts and minds for a moment. We who are in Christ have died. We're dead. The old man is dead. Who we used to be has died. And if you're still living as you used to be and enjoying and reveling in sin, then you don't know what it means to be alive in Christ. Because that's Paul's point. This is the position. You are either dead to sin and alive in Christ or you're still living for yourself in sin. Paul makes this unmistakable connection with baptism as well. He does it here in Colossians, as he does in also Romans chapter 6. And so we need to see our baptism. We, we don't often think about that. I, I don't often, anyway. When you see baptism being administered, it's just not simply something that is pointing to the blood of Jesus. It is. It's not just something that includes children in the covenant. It is, but it's, it's, it's pointing, and our form highlights. Our forefathers highlighted this. It means that we have died. We have plunged, as it were, into the grave, and we have died, and we now have risen with Christ. That's what he's saying, to be seen in baptism. That's what he's saying when we uh, record that, that wonderful prayer there in our forum about how with Moses and the Israelites, as they passed through the Red Sea, were baptized. Overflowed. They died there. And Paul wants us to know this truth. Go back to Romans 6. He says, this we know. If we are in Christ, we are dead. The old man is dead. And Paul knows if we don't get this, if we don't understand this, if we don't believe this, then what we're going to say the rest of the sermon is irrelevant in many respects. It can be said of everyone in this world and everyone in this gathering, we are either right now standing guilty before God by ourselves, or we are standing guilt-free in Jesus Christ. That's our position. We are either dead in Christ or we remain dead in ourselves. It's not what we feel, it's not what we might think in our own reasoning and understanding you see when a person comes to faith in jesus christ and they experience this struggle of remaining sin and they may see their own corruption say how am i dead to sin i see so much of this own sin in my own self yet how could this be i'm not dead so much raging within my heart well paul gets to that in romans 7 But the principle, the position, Paul wants us to grasp and to believe in when we are in Christ, we are dead. Paul here then is writing to the believer. He's writing to the believers at Corinth. He's writing to us tonight here at this place when we have come as a poor sinner and trusted in Christ alone and we have tasted of His mercy and His grace. And the peace of God. And Paul is saying to us, you need to know this. The old man is dead. Dead is dead. Has no power, has no more authority. It's been crucified with Christ. It went into the grave with him. The old man is dead. And this relates not only to our justification, but it's also related to our sanctification. We are sanctified. Paul goes uh, in Romans says also, we are glorified. It's the position that all believers have in Christ that cannot be erased. It cannot be changed. That's not always our experience. It's not always what we find in battling day by day against sin. We'll get to that in a few moments. But the position is this. We stand in Christ. We are dead unto sin, to the old self, and we are alive in Christ unto God. What this means is that when we're born again by the Spirit of Christ, we have become a new creature. We are alive in Christ, a new man. The old man principle is dead, and the believer who is united to Christ is alive. His resurrection power, by His Spirit, He now lives within us. So what does it mean to be united to Christ by faith? Sin ought to no longer have dominion over us. We can know on the basis of God's word tonight that if we have fled to Christ by faith and trusting in him, no matter how I feel, no matter what battles I engage in my own heart and mind, even today and even in this very moment, when I stand before God in Christ, he sees no sin. Because the debt is paid. It's nailed, Paul goes on in Colossians 3 it's been nailed to the cross. We owe nothing because it's paid in full. And so we've been raised. That needs to be lived out in the life of the child of God. It needs to be lived out in the heart of the believer, in the practice of their lives. Progressively, we call that progressive sanctification. The old things are passed away and all things have become new. And it's this, really, that we come to in the second thought tonight. The practice of what does this look like? Well, Paul is saying, indeed... We are dead to sin. But he acknowledges, Romans 7 and in other places here in Corinthians, that though we are dead to sin and we're, we're, we're dead to what we were, there's still these tuggings, there's still this inclination, there's still these rudiments, there's still these old pathways of thinking, there's, there's still this uh, flesh, Paul calls it, the lusts of the flesh, the, the old man, as it were, Seeking to surface, seeking to break out into sin. But it's also the reason for why when we, having come to faith in Christ, take a stand for the name of Christ, we will die, we will suffer persecution, and God will also ordain it so that all of the sufferings in our life is going to be used by the Father to shape and mold us so that we die more and more, so that we live more and more. As we live each day, Paul understood and we ought to understand with him. We are going to face challenges and difficulties that we've not dreamed of or understood would come upon our path and temptations we have perhaps not thought about before. But each of these instances is not a mistake. If we believe God has ordained all of our life, including all that happens around us, that person ridiculing you or calling you a difficult name or that person who's not respecting you at work or uh, that family member who is giving you a hard time, whatever it might be, is going to be used by God for your life and your death. Now I see the Apostle Paul as I read him in his uh, letters to the churches, setting out two ways in which he was saying he's dying in actual practice of life. And the first way that he is uh, describing this dying life was when he talks about uh, mortification of sin, self-denial. What Jesus says, he who would follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. To renounce our hearts, sinful hearts, our lusts, our flesh, and to live in obedience to Christ. Go back, if you will, to Colossians, where we were reading Paul naming the position. He goes on to say, verse 5, after he has said in verse 3, you have died, he says in verse 5, put to death, So it's both a position and understanding of we have died in Christ, and yet at the same time he is saying you need to live this way. You need to be aware that we're called to continually put to death that which remains earthly in us. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You used to, verse 7, walk in these things. You used to live in them, but now, verse 8, you must put them away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to each other. Seeing you have put off the old self with the practice and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on, therefore, verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against each other, forgive, even as God has forgiven you. And above all this, put on love. We might say that Paul, in his understanding of what it means to be dead and dying, living a dying life, was to put to death the remaining corruptions in our flesh. That's the call of God to his children. We might call it inward mortification. And when our first point that we've considered our position becomes a living reality in our hearts, when we begin to understand more and more what God in Christ has done for us, our hearts begin to overflow with gratitude and love to him who saved us from ourselves. And he's now filling us. He's loving us so that we would in response to what He's done for us, live in obedience to Him and put to death these remaining things that He has in principle put to death. And to walk in the Spirit. Paul said in Romans 6:6, we have been crucified with Christ so that the body of sin was destroyed, and we would no longer see, serve sin because we are free from it. But you see, sin wants to live. Pride rejoices in itself. Lust want fulfillment of its pleasure. And Paul is saying, you need to kill it consciously, determinatively, kill it. Are you living the dying wife? Inward corruption, mortified, crucified, put to death. It's not easy for our flesh. But by the Spirit, it ought to be our delight. Because in doing so, we will experience the life and the power of Christ to live that way. To his glory. We'll get to that in the third point. But the second way in which Paul is here describing how we must die, how he was dying. It wasn't only that he was dying to himself. You see, that's part of it, what Paul was saying. He had to die to this image that it was Paul the apostle, Paul the preacher. Because all the people at Corinth, at least those who were speaking against the Paul, was, uh, against Paul they were saying, oh, he, he's just a little man. He's got a lot of big words. He, he's not really an effective preacher. All of those things were very cutting, no doubt, to Paul's flesh. That had to be crucified. It had to die. But the second way Paul is saying here in this passage that we're considering now from 2 Corinthians 4 is that when we name the name of Christ, you and I are going to be of little value and importance to most of the people in this world. Increasingly, we are mocked ridiculed for standing for truth for righteousness for God when was the last time we stood for God when his name was being taken in vain when was the last time we stood for God in defiance of this world's agenda and propaganda that's being pushed against us There were some at Corinth who said Paul's speech is contemptible. He's little esteemed. He was considered to be little and nothing and of no value and worth in the eyes of the world. But Paul looks at his sufferings, he looks even at his bodily injuries his being stoned for Christ, his suffering shipwreck, his fighting with beasts at Ephesus, his being robbed, his being in prison, his being hungry and thirsty, all these things and many more, Paul says, I died. Every day I died. So you can live In 1 Corinthians 15, in the first letter he wrote to them, he had already said in verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. And in this chapter we read, Paul says, verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Paul is saying, when I have sought to follow Christ and be a minister of Christ and to serve Christ, I encountered difficulty. I encountered ridicule of people. I encountered challenges. I encountered imprisonment. I encountered beating for Christ. I died. If he wanted to escape all that trouble and that suffering, you know what he says to the Corinthians? uh, I am pressed beyond measure. You know, people today are talking about they are so pressed beyond measure. They, they, They try to escape it in any way that they can and don't recognize, even Christians, what God may be doing in their life is pressing them so they die to themselves to live to Christ. That's what Paul is doing here. He says, I'm troubled on every side, but not distressed. I am perplexed, not in despair. I am persecuted, not forsaken. I am cast down, but not destroyed. And he says in the very next verse, that in this way he bears about in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't somehow that Paul was adding to the sacrifice of Jesus' death and dying by his own. He was simply saying that when we follow Christ, you're going to die. That's what he was saying. Because this world disowns Christ, fights against Christ, And if we dislike dying, dying to ourselves, we will never live the fullness of the life that Christ intends us to live, even now. Paul is saying that the afflictions of the believer are more than the afflictions of the wicked. Uh, Asaph in in Psalm 73 also acknowledged this. Oh, the wicked are prospering. How come they get all the blessings and I don't get anything? I'm serving God until... He went to church. The house of God. Heard the word of God. And suddenly, he said, it became plain. The end of the wicked is death. The end of the righteous is life. And so the believer in all his afflictions Even through His dying to sin and His dying in His body in various ways each day in which God has ordained our lives to be in troubles and afflictions and pain and sorrow and grief and all these things. He's shaping us so that we cling to Him. We find our life in Him. We trust in Him more and more. And what Paul is saying here. As a pastor, you're called to the front of the line. As elders and deacons, as parents, we could say, you're called to the front of this line. Pause the analogy here of soldiers being brought back in captivity. They're in the front of the line to be led away to death. And just as Christ has laid down his life and he mortified in his body as a sacrifice for his bride, he calls us to do no different. And so Paul in uh, in verse 12, he says, so then death works in us, but life in you. I think particularly of that instance, children, when Paul and Silas, they had preached the gospel and the people who heard some people who heard it hated that message hated you got to leave this lifestyle and flee from sin to God you're going to be punished if you don't and they hated that message and they took Paul and Silas and they threw them into prison they beat them Paul and Silas are here they preached the gospel they were faithful to the ministry God had given them and now they're in the center prison waiting probably the next day to be put to death literally Until that night, an earthquake set them free. And they see a jailer who had imprisoned them come to faith in Christ. And the door of the gospel opened to that whole region. That's what Paul's talking about. Death to me, but life in me, in Christ Jesus, to the glory of God. Are we seeking a life in which we die? A life in which we are ready to sacrifice our life? A life in which the world will mock us? A life in which we may suffer lack and the reproach of men for Christ's sake. Then we will be bearing about in our body the death and the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we will not die but live. The way to the crown is the cross. And the more we experience, the more we intentionally are putting to death and walking in the way of obedience to Christ and even find ourselves dying in that path, the more we will experience in our heart He dwells in us. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. He gives us life. And isn't this why Paul says in verse 13, he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according as it has been written, I believed and so therefore I speak. Paul found this to be true. He had a life track record to show it. And he wants those at Corinth who are being despised as well and being set apart. He says, know this. Look, this is what God's doing in me. He will do it in you. You see, when Christ returns and we have daily put into practice this matter of dying unto self and dying unto sin and dying for living for Christ and his sake, when he comes again on the clouds of glory as the Lord of life, our hearts will not condemn us. There is a life far richer already now that we can experience. That's why, Paul, you read the rest of this chapter. We believe, so we speak, knowing that he who raised Jesus will also, with Jesus, bring us with you into his presence. So then don't lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Dying flesh, sin, serving Christ, put to death by others, experience life within the new man being renewed each day. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Your affliction, my affliction that we experience, is actually, Paul says, preparing for us. There won't be a preparation for glory without this suffering, without this dying. It's an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison because why? We're not looking at the things we see but at the things we do not see. There's a book in the memoirs of General Sir Adrian Carton-Dewart. He died the year I was born, 1963. And in this book, he gives a description of his life. It was as if he was dying his whole life. He talked about how he fought in the Boer War. He was severely wounded. He fought in World War I. He was wounded seriously eight times. He lost a hand. He lost an eye. He was, fought, he was also fighting in the Second World War. He was shot down and captured, and he tunneled his way out of prison camps. And he mentioned in passing the occasional finger, he says, that he tore off when the doctors were debating whether it would not be saved or not. And he, he, he never moped and whined, and he did not sue the army for his injuries or post-traumatic stress syndrome, and instead he calls in his book this a happy odyssey. This is a man, as far as I know, wasn't a Christian. He was doing this because he was fighting for his people and his nation. That's what was working in his heart so that he gave himself, his whole being, to death for their life. And Paul could say to the Corinthians, my body has been broken down. Every day I am dying. Death is at work in me, but I'm not destroyed. But the way that you see life working in me is an encouragement for you to live the same life. Paul looked at the Corinthian church and he saw them repentant and he rejoiced. He saw life was at work among them and he knew what lay in store for them if they followed what Christ called them to do. In Christ dying, we die with him, but we're raised to a new life. But briefly, lastly, while we're called to this, we recognize it's not something we could easily do. We we cannot do in our own strength. And and that's the point that Paul is giving here to the Corinthians as well. He says, I'm not preaching myself, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, And the life of Christ, we could say, was written all over his body. If Paul would take off his shirt and you saw the stripes on his back, it spoke about death. But it was life. Having suffered for Christ, Christ took him through gave him to be faithful, gave him to be able to write another letter to the Corinthian church to correct them and speak of the grace and the mercy of God. But how was this? Was it because Paul was such a great apostle, because he had so much strength? No, not at all. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul is saying, I'm nothing but a weak clay pot. That's all I am. That's all you are. A weak clay pot. We're not some beautiful piece of glass or silver vessel. But a clay pot that can easily be broken. And the question is, when we're broken what's shining out he says here we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us it reminds me children of you remember Gideon and all of his men a few men And the huge army in the valley, and they had these clay pots covering a candle of light. It was darkened. They all surrounded that hillside of this enemy, and at the sound of the trumpet, they broke the clay pots. And the light flickered, and it looked like thousands of people surrounding the enemy. And they fled. This is what Paul is saying in essence here. The power is not of us. The light is not of us. The life is not of us. But let your light shine as you are broken, as you die day by day, as I am dying day by day. Let then the light of Christ who upholds you, who gives you kindness in the face of of being persecuted, who gives you love and a heart to neighbor and friends, who does all of this within you, let that shine. That's what Paul is saying. And so when you're tired, and you've been a day at work, a whole day, and things have not gone well, and you come home, and the kids are screaming, and your wife is getting on your case, what do you do? The clay pot is broken. And what light comes out? Or switch the rules. The children aren't listening. You've got so much on your plate. You need to get so much done, and Haven't had time maybe even to do your devotions in the morning. And one of the children does something you don't like. You're broken in a clay pot. What shines? Paul is saying, die. Die to what you would have come out of your mouth that is not pleasing to our Lord and instead live in the life and the power Christ. The weaker we are, the greater the power of God will be. And the more evident it will be in our lives that others will see it. And we, like Paul, can say, it's not of us. It's of him. And to him, be the glory. We are simply vessels to be used in God's servant. And when broken, we ought to shine forth His light. That was Paul's experience. That was Paul's message. He could say, it's not of me. The source of this power is not of Paul. It's of God. And when you're broken this week, let that light, as you reflect it, you heard tonight, What you read about in this week in your devotion time, let the light of Christ shine. Are you living the dying life? Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, we need your grace, your spirit, your Christ. We don't like to die. And yet in dying, we shall live. Help us to die to self, to die to sin, to die to those things which would lead us further and further from you. And rather to be clothed in life and light and righteousness in Christ. And so that as broken vessels being broken the light of Christ may shine and that others may be drawn to him as well. Go with us then in this week. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to live in your resurrection power, the power that raised you from the dead. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.